we would like to welcome you to our weekly broadcast of Harvest Worship Center's Sunday morning celebration service. We hope and pray that you will receive something from the Lord today. And we ask you to stay tuned at the end of the message for more information concerning our church. Again, thank you for joining us today. Well, let's give the Lord a big praise this morning. Can we do that? Come on. God is so good. You can be seated for just a moment. I want to go into the thoughts I have for us today before I get into the message for today. I want to uh, just encourage you. I know uh, fall break's going on, but if you're going to be around, come be with us Wednesday night. Youth group's going on. Uh, This is middle school through high school, and then there's uh, college and career class going on. There's also uh, our senior adult and our adult young adult class meeting in here, and then classes for every age every grade level. So come be a part of our Wednesday nights. Um, a long time ago, someone asked me, said, do y'all, do, y'all don't do Sunday school. We do, but it's on Wednesday. So I guess it's Wednesday school. So uh, anyhow, um, that is our time of Bible study. And that's our time to open the uh, word of God and, and be taught. Uh, and there's much difference between preaching and teaching. And we need to, to experience that teaching part. Um, because that's how we, we put down roots and we really grow in the Lord. So I want to encourage you to be a part of that. Um, also, um, I just want to, to say uh, we're, moving, we're moving forward for the Lord. I mean, just don't ever lose sight of that. We're moving forward for, uh, for what God wants. Um, we have been in this series a couple of weeks now, the Power of Love series, and I'm uh, going to be talking to you part three today. Uh, we're going to be kind of focusing in a little bit more uh, just kind of recap, we talked about, uh, you know, being distracted, av- uh, available, and vulnerable, that we have to uh, get rid of some distractions. We mean to become available to what God wants to speak in this hour, and then we have to be vulnerable. We have to be willing to say, God, uh, in my weakness, you're made strong, so here's my weakness. It's not that God doesn't already know your weakness. It's good to acknowledge it, and in acknowledging it, God's strength can come in and, and, and begin to help us in those areas where we fall short. And so our scripture has been taken out of uh, the book of John, uh, the first chapter, uh, verses 1 through 5, and then John 1, uh, chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. And so we've been kind of focusing in on those particular verses, which says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life uh, was the light of men. The light shines in in the darkness, and the darkness has not covered it. Uh, And then we go on, verse 10 through 18 says, uh, He was in the world, and and the world was made through Him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all that did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave them the right to become the children of God, uh, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out uh, this was he who uh, he of whom I said he who comes after me ranks before me because he was uh, he, he was before me uh, for for from him from his fullness verse 16 uh, we have all received grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses grace and truth came through Jesus Christ no one has ever seen God the only God who is at the father's side he 
has made him known. In other words, God has revealed himself through his son on this earth. And that's so important as we move forward. We talked about how words have lost their meaning. Um, that The word love does not carry the weight it used to carry. Uh, the words I love you held significance and now it's kind of thrown around very loosely. Um, we talked about how uh, that those words, uh, you know, people can kind of shrug you off, say I'm fine. Um, and that doesn't really mean anything. It's kind of a way to kind of passively answer someone. Uh, then we talked about the purpose of book, John's book. The entire uh, Gospel of John, it was written and summed up in uh, chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but, the, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. And that's kind of the summary of what this is all about, that as we remove those distractions, as we uh, begin to to gain focus on what's really important, um, and, and as we begin to open up to God about what we're struggling with, that we lose that religious facade that a lot of people like to put on. Uh, I put it on in my life, and I, I, I thank God a few years ago, he delivered me of that uh, many years ago, and I don't, I, I am who I am. Uh, and, and guess what? I am a work in progress. Look at somebody beside you and say, thank God he's still working on you. <laughs> thank God he's still working on you. Thank God he's still working on me. Uh, aren't you thankful for that today? And so I'm a work in progress. You're a work in progress. Um, and, and again, understanding uh, those thoughts, understanding what that meant. In the Hebrew language, we shared that there's uh, uh, that they had about 10,000 words in the Hebrew language, the Greek language about 200,000 words, and the English language is still expanding. We are a million words and growing every year by about 5,400 words per year, I think I said 54,000 last Sunday, but 50, somebody called me on that, 5,400 words per year, we are expanding our uh, vocabulary. And so, you know, I do good to master a few. How about you? But we're expanding our language. But with all those words spoken, um, I, I, sometimes we have the most difficulty with the words, uh, I'm sorry, Anybody struggle with that? Uh, please forgive me. Those are the, those phrases tend to give us more problems, I think, than any other. And 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 again, uh, Matthew six seven son, kind of sums it up and says, um, "And when you pray, do not be uh, do not babble like the heathen, since they think they will be heard because of their many words." I don't want to just babble at God. I want to get to the point with God. God wants you to get to the point with Him, and that's kind of uh, where we kind of summarized and left off. That, that there are power in our words. There's power in, uh, in, in the culture that the Bible was written. Words carried eternal weight. In other words, uh, when the Greeks are, or when the Hebrews spoke of love, they spoke that these are gifts from God. When it speaks about, uh, it speaks about uh, how God loved them, they meant that literally God's love came down towards them. God was distant, but God's love was projected. I want you to hear that. Projected towards man and in the Old Testament. That's what it means. In the Greek language, they, they, they said, look, love's more complicated than one word, so they have three words for it. And so uh, in the English language, however, we kind of summarized it to one word love. And so John is really redefining, and if we do anything in this room today, I want you to leave here with a new definition of what love really means. I want you to leave here with a new hope of what love means, because love does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And we're going to talk about that in a little bit. But again, we talked about 
how uh, that these words were powerful. So when Jesus started using words like agape, it held the attention of the Hebrew as much as the Greek saying, wait a minute, he's talking about a sacrificial love that, that really nobody's got. Uh, and now he's saying he has that and the Father has that towards us. So John brought the power and the reasons uh, together in his gospel. In other words, in, in verse 14, he says, and the Logos, the Word, became flesh. He's saying, look, the love that was once in the Old Testament projected towards us, God loves us, from a distance He loves us, and because why? We were sinful. He could only go so far. The Bible says that the sacrifice of bulls and goats fell short. Okay, they had lambs and goats and bulls. They could only do so much to curry the or, or, or to bring about the favor of God in in our lives. He said because God loved from a distance. But when you get to the New Testament, it, God came near. Aren't you thankful for that? The Word became flesh. Love became flesh. The love that was projected now became embodied in Jesus and has dwelt among us and loved us out loud and in person. Love became personal personal to God. I want you to understand it's still personal to God. God does he 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 isn't happy when we say okay, uh, what did he tell Peter? He said, "Peter, do you love me?" He said, "Do you agape me? Do you want this in your face personal love?" And Peter's reply was, "I'm good at loving you, Philios, from a distance." I'll love you, God, from a distance. I'm good with that. And after the third time, Peter finally uh, begins to realize that Jesus is saying, I didn't come to love from a distance. That was the Father in the Old Testament. But the Father sent me the Logos to become flesh so that you and I might have the love of God in our face, in our lives, that you and I might become the sons and daughters of of God. I want you to understand how much he loved us today. I want you to walk around. In other words, God could have kept on saying, just keep bringing the lambs to me. Just keep bringing the bulls to me. Just keep, boy, I'll tell you right now, I'm glad I'm not a priest. I'm glad I wasn't a priest in the Old Testament. You think that it was a great position. It was a very messy job, especially if you were low on the totem pole because only the priest could slaughter the animals because they had to slaughter them the right way or they were not acceptable to God. It was a very rich ritualistic love. It was a very rigid love. In other words, I love you, but you must meet the conditions. That's what God said. I, in the Old Testament, he said, I love you, but you got to meet the conditions. You've got to dot every I. You've got to cross every T. And if you don't get it right, it's going to cost you. But when Jesus came along, he said, I love you so much for God, for the Father so loved the world that he sent his only son, John 3, 16. We all know that verse. He's saying, God's love became in your face and personal, that there might be the Lamb of God, who, who was he? He was both lion and, and lamb, all in one Jesus. He was the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he was the sacrificial Lamb of God. And he says, because I am the lion, I am the lamb, he says, I'll die on the cross so that you can become what God intended you to be from, all, from, from, from the beginning, his sons and his daughters, and that you might walk in the presence of his love daily. And it's not because what you do to earn it. It's because he just loves. 
Boy, but if we are not careful in the New Testament, we'll carry the rules over, won't we? We'll carry the regulations over, won't we? And we'll dot the I's and cross the T's and we'll think if we don't get that done, God's love is withheld. And God's saying, I'm not withholding my love from you. I came that I might demonstrate. Jesus said, I am love personified to you. I am love in large letter addition to you. Amen. Amen. You ever been driving along, especially this time of year, things are going to start getting colorful and pretty. You'll be driving along and you'll look at, and you may be driving through the same country you've drove through, timeless days, timeless mornings, and all of a sudden you see overnight things have changed and you, it catches your eyes. In other words, it becomes a, a different picture in your eyes. I'm telling you, God will change his form of love every day. He'll show it in a different way. Sometimes he shows it through a loved one. Sometimes he shows it through a friend. Sometimes he shows it through creation itself. He'll demonstrate his love if we'll just start looking. And a lot of times he comes in and we'll just feel the presence of God. And he's saying, why are you here, God, to convict me, to show me how wrong I am? He's saying, oh, if you want it that way, then I guess that's how it has to be. But I didn't come to love you at a distance. I came to love you in person. I just want to spend time with you. Amen. Amen. And so the Logos, the Word, was made flesh and dwelt among us. Why? And we have seen His glory, verse 14. The glory of the Father's only Son, full of grace and truth. When Jesus came, He was full. What is He full? I, I know people, a lot of people are full of stuff. Come on. You deal with them every day. But guess what? Jesus, when He came, He was full of grace and truth. He was full of what the world needed at that time. And that's why the religious hated him like they did. The central theme of the Gospel of John, the reason John wrote this, this Gospel was not to repeat what had already been shared through Luke. You see, a lot of people don't realize the timeline here. John, John was the one who, he wrote his at the end. You already had the Gospel of Matthew, Mark, and Luke circulating around. And he's saying, but look, you guys have covered, excellently covered so much of what Jesus did, but I'm going to cover some things that you didn't cover. I'm going to point out some things that you didn't see. And so he is known as the apostle of love, and so of course his, his, his uh, gospel would be quite different. The reason John talked about the, the Word of God being made flesh is because he wanted us to realize God is powerful, creative, dynamic. He is the agent of creation, guiding, directing, controlling words. In other words, as he spoke, things happened. I want you to think about it. In, in Genesis, as he spoke, we learned that fancy word last week in the Latin says ex nihilo. Out of nothing God made something. I'm here to tell you he's still doing that today in our lives. He's still looking at situations and we say nothing good can come from this. And God says, but you don't realize who is with you. This word made flesh is the same word that when he looked upon the face of darkness said, let there be light and there was light. And out of nothing he creates awesome things. So he's powerful, he's creative, and he's dynamic. And John wanted us to realize that. These concepts were known to both the Hebrews and the Greeks that he was writing to. But then a startling statement was made when he spoke about powerful, creative, dynamic, the agent of creation, guiding, directing, controlling words that control and put in order all of the universe. The Hebrews and the Greeks fully understood God in that way. 
But what tripped them up is when he said, but this same word now became flesh in the form of Jesus and dwells among us. That was a stumbling block for some of them. They had to back up a little bit. So what you're saying, we understand the God of the Old Testament, but now you're telling us God is here, God is present, God is moving, working, and living among us. This is the God that we serve. You're telling us he came in flesh. I want you to hear me. And he dwells among us. In other words, this concept to the Hebrew uh, was known to the Hebrews, but now the startling revelation that God became flesh, the Word became flesh, says actually physical expression. In other words, Jesus was a physical expression of all the things that God was in the Old Testament. He had, look, Jesus said in, in creation bent to his words. You say, uh, I, I don't know about that. Uh, John points out those topics several times. Did Jesus walk on water? It's in the book of John. He's saying, look, only the creator could walk on water. Only the creator could do that. Uh, how about the parable of the fig tree? Anybody know that parable? What does he say to the fig tree? He goes to the fig tree. It wasn't even time for figs. Okay. But the creator's like, if I want figs, you should have figs. So since you don't have figs, I'm going to curse you. Next day they come back by that way and this tree's all withered up and dead. What was he demonstrating to his disciples? The logos, the word that became flesh. In other words, I made the tree, I can kill the tree. I made the water and if I want to make it solid enough to walk on, I can make it solid enough to walk on. Now let's go a little bit, little bit further because I think we don't preach this enough. I made your bodies, so if I want to heal your bodies, I can heal your body. In other words, when Jesus healed the blind man, most people say the man that he spit on the ground and made mud probably was born without any eyes at all. We just call him the blind man. But he is the only case in the Bible where Jesus did this. So I want you to kind of entertain a thought with me today. God is the master builder, amen, if you ever seen Legos movie. He's the master builder, okay? Some of y'all need to see that. It's a great movie. Come on. He is the master architect of all things. He is the master architect of creation itself. So Jesus is coming along. Here's a blind man wanting to see. He, he looks and he sees no eyes in the eye sockets. He spits on the ground and he makes mud and he rubs it in the man's eye sockets and the man goes and washes and all of a sudden he can see. I want you to hear what I'm saying here. I don't know if that's, that's 100% the case, but regardless, the man was blind and could see, but I want you to think God the creator in the form of Jesus saw a factory defect in his creation. And he's saying this isn't the way it was meant to be, I'm going to fix it. And so he takes dust, dirt, makes it into mud, and the same God that shaped and formed Adam out of the dust of the ground and breathed the word into him, and he became living flesh, a living, breathing soul, now creates eyes where there were no eyes and sight where there was no sight. And I'm telling you, he did those things to show he was the Logos, the word made flesh and dwelt among us. And you say, what's that got to do with my life today? I'm here to tell you, he still looks into the place where there's factory defects, 
God, I'm trying to live right, but I keep falling short. I'm trying to get where I'm supposed to go, and I just can't seem to do it. God, every time I take a step forward for you, it seems like I take a hundred steps back from you. And the logo says, I came so that I might enable you to do that which you're unable to do. Amen. I came to give you life in it more abundantly. I came to fix what was broken in this world. It's a broken world. In other words, seeing, seeing the Old Testament and the New Testament concepts of God are quite different. The Old Testament of God is often seen as a, a, the God of power and judgment and destruction. Amen? You see that when you read the Old Testament? I see that a lot. God, God didn't, you didn't play too many games with God in the Old Testament. You want to worship a golden calf? Fine. The ground's going to swallow you. <laughs> Come on. You, you, want to, you want to go ahead. Think of Exodus when he calls them to the mountain and God speaks from the mountain and it terrifies them because they all heard him. And they go to Moses and said, hey, we got a great arrangement here. You go talk to him and tell us what he said because we don't want to hear his voice again because he terrifies us. We, we can't handle it. Thunder and lightning coming from the mountain. Set up boundaries. Said if livestock or anything wanders across those boundaries into the holy ground, they're to be killed. That meant children. Fearful. Come on. That's the, that's the God of the Old Testament that we look at. The New Testament God is often seen as a God of compassion and love. A God who seeks intimacy with us. God hasn't changed. I want to make that clear. Our knowledge of God has changed according to the New Testament. But here, <laughs> I want you to understand, here John is marrying the God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament and saying they're still the same God and they're one. Okay? So the, this is still about God, but because of his son, God sees us in a different light. Oh, God, help me get this through. In other words, when I approach God, he's still the fierce God of the Old Testament. You need to understand that. But Hebrews says what? That I can come boldly into that presence. Why? Not because of how good I've been or how many rules I've fulfilled, but because when God the Father sees me, he sees through the lens of his Son. And because he sees through his Son, he embraces me with love. And that's why John could write with boldness, God is love. Not because of what I have done to earn it, but because of what Jesus did on the cross for me. Now God sees me through this lens. Amen. Because, see, God can't tolerate sin. He doesn't tolerate sin. He sees us through the eyes of his Son, which is grace and mercy. Grace and mercy. In other words, I'll give you a great illustration. Have you ever met somebody and their kid was a complete demon? But they were an angel in their eyes, could do no wrong. <laughs> They're seen through the lens of a parent. And you're like, man, I, they need to wake up. They need to wake up. Come on. All right. Have you ever used the phrase, only a mother could love that? <laughs> you might not have used it, but you thought it. Only a mother could love that. 
you've ever worked vacation Bible schools, you know what I'm talking about. In other words, God hasn't changed. I want to share this with you. Children learn math, but they must learn it in steps. Okay? They cannot learn calculus right away. You don't go into kindergarten and say, here's your calculus book. Okay? Doesn't happen. They start with arithmetic. They start with subtraction. They work their way up to algebra, trigonometry, and then calculus. Music. You don't start off sitting down in the piano learning Bach. Or Beethoven, do you? No, you start out with Mary had a little lamb, lamb. Come on. If you've ever had a kid take piano, it's a painful process through the first couple of years till they learn their notes and they learn what they're doing. Okay? Anybody ever have a kid in band? Okay. <laughs> You see that instrument? I'll tell you a great story about band. They, when I was in middle school, band director came in. He played the theme of Rocky on the trumpet. Every kid in the cafeteria signed up for band. Rocky was a popular movie. I signed up for band. We got our little flutes. Remember the little plastic flutes and songbook? I went to band one day. Literally a year goes by, and my dad looks at me one day at the supper table and says, Phil? Where's your instrument? You never bring an instrument home. I said, what are you talking about? He said, band. I said, oh, I quit that the next day. I just wanted to get out of class. But I remember when my sister, my, my sister and my brother were in band, there was horrifying noises that came out of their room. Made me want to go crawl up in my mama's arms. And they were learning step by step. You don't start off with Bach. You start off with Old MacDonald. And then, you, then you, you learn rhythm. You learn beats. You learn tones. And then you learn how to put those sounds together. In other words, you learn music. You learn how to read notes. In other words, we, it's a step-by-step -step process. In the Old Testament, was an early step in the humans, a human being's understanding of who God was. In other words, the last view that we had of God was a God that stood a sword at the entrance of the garden. I want you to think about that and said, you can't come into paradise anymore because of your sin. And the only way to cover your sin is through sacrifices and death of some innocent being to take the place of your sins. In other words, I want you to think about Adam and Eve. There's a, there's a line in the Old Testament that can be quite troubling if you read it in Genesis and it says, and God made or fashioned for them skins of animals' coats. In other words, guess what? These, you, these two innocent human beings that had never known anything but the love of God, they had only known at, from the beginning of their creation of walking in the cool of the day. Now because of their sin, they had to witness innocent animals the first shed blood they, they watched as God himself skinned those animals and prepared clothing for them to cover their sin this was symbolic that God was saying you'll never be able to cover sin with something man made what did they first try to use to cover their nakedness fig leaves that they had sewn together he said that will never be a permanent covering and guess what he went on to say neither will the shed blood of animals be a per permanent covering so he sent his 
son Jesus to be the perfect sacrifice that would be a permanent covering if we would just stay in it. God is ready for us to live our lives with grace upon grace according to verse 16. What did he mean? Where grace has come, God's pouring on more grace. What does he mean by that? He means I am a fountain and I will continually flow with mercy and grace in your hour of need if you'll just come to me. But you've got to live under my covering. In other words, verse 16 says, For from his fullness we have received grace upon grace. Through Jesus, through our increasing knowledge of God in our hearts as well as in our minds, we have received God's grace again and again and again. Aren't you thankful you didn't just receive it once or we'd all be in trouble? Through Jesus... We have a place with God. When we can look at our, our tiniest building blocks of human life and realize the power and the direction and the force of God that is evident in forming us in our mother's womb. Listen, God is not, is not vengeful, but loving. And who wants a relationship with you and with me? A fair God who is not going to just give us an answer right away. We must work through the stages in order to hear his voice. There are times that we want an instant answer to what we're going through, and God says, I'm going to give you some grace. Well, God, I need you to tell me what's going on. God says, you couldn't handle it if you knew all of it. I'm going to give you some grace. And you need to, well, God, when I get the news, I, 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 I'm troubled by it. God says, listen, don't worry. I'm going to give you some grace. What did he tell the Apostle Paul, one of the most powerful men of God that ever walked the earth? Paul had, a, 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 the Bible says, a thorn in the flesh. There are a lot of people who speculate what that, is, that, that thorn was. We do know it was something that troubled him in his flesh. That's all we do know. But he prayed three different times for that thorn in the flesh to be removed, what it, that, that battle to be over with and done so he didn't have to put up with it anymore. And then three different times God would reply to him how, my grace is sufficient. My grace is enough. When you think you can't get through it, my grace is going to be poured on. When you think you can't get up in the morning, my grace is still going to be there. When you think you can't deal with what your body's having to deal with, my grace is sufficient. When you're going through mental anguish because of troubles and trials my grace is sufficient and when you don't think you have enough I'll just give you more I'll give you more well what is grace grace has got a lot of different definitions um, and, and there, there's a whole lot of different <laughs> definitions for grace but I want to share with you just a, just a few of these okay um, grace is, and we need to understand this, it is the word spoken into our life. It is, it is God's word manifested in us. In other words, it is unmerited favor, true. In other words, I'm getting things that I never deserved to get. And the opposite is mercy when I don't get what I deserved. Okay? They are opposite. Mercy and grace are not the same thing. Grace is that unmerited favor. But it also, there's a, actually a better definition of grace. You say, oh, this is, is what? Divine enablement. Divine enablement. In other words, the better definition of grace is he enables me to get through what I got to get through. He enables me to walk through what I got to walk through. I have his grace. Divine enablement. Enablement. In other words, you and I need to realize as we walk through this life, when we are facing difficulty, when we are facing things, God says, 
I stand with you. Not from a distance, but with you. For the word was made flesh and dwells among us. Isn't that awesome? That is so awesome. God is with us. So when you're facing things, how many times do we try to reason it out in our head? Or we try to work it out in our own way? And God is saying, I'm right here, Jacob. Ready to give you grace. Divine enablement. Anybody ever face something bigger than them? Greater than them? And they knew if, if they had in themselves no strength to get through it, but you somehow got through it. Don't you turn around and thank yourself for that. Don't you turn around and thank others for that. I got news for you. Don't you turn around and thank Pastor Phil for that. You thank God for that. Because I'm telling you, it is God that give you that gave you that divine enablement to face that giant and to overcome it. It is God. Amen. Will you stand? Finally, the grace we receive because we realize that Jesus wants us and continues to reveal, uh, re reveal his grace. In other words, when we love as Christ loved, his grace is revealed. When I love somebody opposite of what they, when I give somebody a reaction they're not looking for. Come on. That's why Jesus told his disciples, said, if someone smites you on one cheek, turn to them the other. He's saying, you've got to learn. Look, who realizes that if somebody slaps you on the cheek, you've got to have a whole lot of grace to go. How about that one? <laughs> Jesus used very vivid teaching. What was he saying? He's saying, listen, you've got to have my grace to do that which you can't do on your own. There's people that we're not able to love without God helping us love them. There's people that we need to forgive that we'll never be able to forgive without God helping us. Come on. This is just hard and real. I'm going to tell you right now, we want good marriages. We want good relationships with our kids. We want good relationships with our church and our family and our friends. And we want good relationships at work. There's sometimes God will put, God, we'll, we'll walk up against difficult people that make it very, very hard to love. And God says, you're right, Phil, you can't love them, but my grace is sufficient. I'll give you grace upon grace. I'll help you do what you can't do on your own. I'll help you do the impossible. Don't you think about that. So what are you facing this morning? What are you going through that you need grace? In other words... When we love as Christ loved, it's His grace revealed. When we give thanks for all that we have been given instead of regretting and looking and saying, I wish I had what others had. I wish I had this. I wish I had a better job. At least we've got a job. Come on. When we're thankful, God's grace is revealed. When we ask for healing, whether physical, emotional, or spiritual, His grace is revealed. When it, even when it's not manifested the way we want it manifested. Sometimes God heals us emotionally about a physical problem instead of healing the physical problem. Amen. That God, it's here, it's not going away, but you, you give me the strength to get on with my life and deal with it. It's there. I can deal with it. If you choose to heal my body, thank you. 
But you heard you touched my mind so I can walk forward. I'm not held back. You understand where I'm going? The issue then is the matter of what is a matter of whether we are willing to realize it or not, whether we are willing to accept it or not, whether we are able to humble ourselves enough so that our eyes may be open. In other words, so when we share words with one another, we need to be careful about what we say. In other words, thoughts expressed may sometimes fall back dead. But God Himself can't kill, can't kill them when they are said. In other words, sometimes we have thoughts. <laughs> Come on now. There's days when you look at somebody and they've done you not quite right. And you're thinking, man, I'd like to just slap them. I'd like to knock them down. I'd like to just... Come on. You say, do you go through those? Every day. I'm going to be honest and transparent with you. I, every day. But guess what? His grace. What if we all just acted out on that stuff? It would be a very violent world, wouldn't it? But just because you had the thought don't mean you committed a sin. It's what you do with it. James teaches us that. Right? So again, thoughts expressed may sometimes fall back dead. In other words... I'm not going to, I've got a thought, but I'm not going to act on it. But God himself can't kill them when they are said. Amen? You ever have something come out and you wish you could get it back instantly? Most husbands in the room. <laughs> wish you could pull it back in and never have said it. But you did. I'm going to quote my mom. Mom shared this with us growing up, and, and I can't help but think of it as we talk about words. Words unspoken do not have to be repented of. She would tell us that all the time. Words unspoken do not have to be repented of. If you don't act on it, if it's just a thought, you can give God time to deal with that thought. But once you say it, it's said. Come on. If you ever fry out those words, I hate you, you can try to take them back, but they're going to stick hard. Do you hear me? They're going to stick hard in whoever hears them. Words unspoken do not have to repent, be repented of. Words of repentance that are never spoken will do nothing for your soul. Amen? And that's not just towards God. If we owe somebody an apology and we're saying, I'm really sorry, and we've sold everybody in our heart, but we've told ourselves and We've even told our best friend, I owe that person, but we never act on it. It's worthless. If I've done you wrong, Jaron, and I don't come to you personally and tell you I'm sorry, but I've told Jim, Jim, I'm really sorry for the way I treated Jaron. That's bad. I shouldn't have done that. How does that affect you? Not at all. How does that mend the relationship? Not at all. And I'm going to go a step further. Some of us, we're telling ourselves how sorry we are that we are in a broken relationship with God. But we're not telling God. Because maybe we're looking at God as the Old Testament God and we're forgetting He is the Logos, the Word made flesh. He came to be in our face with love and forgiveness and grace upon grace. So this morning, I want us to bow our heads, close our eyes. And I, like I said, I just feel like God's dealing with somebody in this room. 
He's dealing with some of us about this. If he's just dealing with your heart, again, not to pull you down here, but he's just dealing with your heart about this. Every eye closed, every head bowed just for a moment. If, if that's you and he's dealing with you about it, and you're saying, Pastor, I just want you to help me pray about this. I just want you to slip your hand up and put it right back down. Slip it up and put it right back down. There's some others in this room. Come on. Come on. Come on. There's some others. There's some others. Then I'm going to invite us to pray this morning as we get ready to leave this place. The altar is open. You can pray at your seat. But let's take a moment. Let's talk to God about this. Why? Because we need grace upon grace. Strength upon strength. Let's pray. We would like to thank you for joining us for our weekly podcast. We pray that you receive something from the Lord today. Please share your prayer requests and testimonies with us by emailing us at tryonhwc at gmail.com. If you would like more information concerning Harvest Worship Center, you can visit our website at tryonhwc.com. We would love for you to visit us in person sometime. Our services are held at 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Children's worship is during our 11 a.m. service. If you would like to give to the ministries of Harvest Worship Center, you can also do this by clicking the Giving tab online. Once again, we would like to thank you for joining us today, and we pray you have a blessed week.